standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. Uh, once again, blessed Sabbath to every single one of you. Um, again, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, and I've been blessed by listening to the prayer request, even to the children's story. It spoke to me this morning. So thank you. It seems like I can't get over that stage of nervousness quite yet. <laughs> Especially after this presentation that I have um, uh, put together. It's probably perhaps the, the most challenging one that I ever have put together. and Personally, at least, but you might understand why at the end of, of this presentation. Um, as you read the title, Shepherding the Flock or Creed. And the main talk is um, shepherding, taking care of the congregation, looking after the, the welfare of the congregation. And sometimes that could be misinterpreted as men ruling with a creed or by a creed. So in this presentation, I will be addressing our people, those that believe in the one true God. There are many characteristics to a shepherd. Some are, he protects, he shelters, he feeds and watches over his flock. He knows each and one of them. This job requires patience and full attention in order to preserve them and keep them whole and closely together. Would you agree? In this presentation, we'll be looking at two of these characteristics closely dealing with spiritual shepherds, and that is the feeding and the protection of the flock. And with these words, I'm going to invite those that can to please kneel with me to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Jehovah, once again, thank you for another blessed Sabbath. I ask that you please be with us and that we can please hear your voice this morning. Thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name, your Son. Amen. So the command that we read in the Scriptures is to feed the flock of God. Our spiritual shepherds are under-shepherds. Under shepherds of whom? Of Christ Jesus, right? He is the fine or the good shepherd. So the sheep belong to the sheep belong not to the elders of the congregation, but to who do they belong? To Christ. How careful, watchful, and attentive are we then to be for the well being of the Lord's sheep? Not ours but the Lord's. And it's good for the elders of the congregation, especially, to always keep this in mind. If God has given us the responsibility of the oversight of the congregation, then it behooves us to be faithful to that responsibility. What do you say? Amen. And the scripture that we read, we'll read it once again. The elders which are among you, I exhort. This is Paul speaking. Whom I also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucrae, but of a ready mind. So the elders which are among you, depending, of course, on the size of the congregation, it is wise to have at least two or three elders. Some congregations are larger, maybe even more, if that is uh, the need. The appeal here that we read is to feed the flock of God under the care where they serve as overseers, not by constraint or compulsion, but willingly. And verse 3 reads, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being its examples to the flock. So these spiritual shepherds feed the flock, not only by their teaching, but also by their example. 
Is this a high calling? Sure it is. And every under-shepherd must not only recognize this, but encourage, but should be encouraged that the good shepherd is always ready and willing to help in carrying out this responsibility. Feeding the flock is not limited to doctrine alone. Oftentimes we feel or we think that when we read Feed the Flock of God, is to teach them wholesome spiritual food. But sometimes we, the sheep, not always need wholesome doctrine, um, a good advice or some encouragement sometimes is also needed. Would you agree? So it doesn't necessarily provide, I mean, refers to doctrine alone. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 45, we read, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? In other words, supplying spiritual food at the proper time is one of the responsibilities given to God's servants. In doing so, we are called faithful and wise. Do we want to or do we desire to be faithful and wise servants? Yes. And again, that takes being attentive to the needs of each of the sheep of the congregation. And now, behold, I, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. This is Paul still speaking. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. What is he saying here? I am pure from the blood of every single one of you. Why? For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. This is a very difficult thing to do because in this process of you not shunning the responsibility to declare all the counsel of God, you run a risk of losing your brother or your sister. In other words, if that counsel is not received, then most likely they will turn their back on you. But Paul said, I am free from the blood of all men. In other words, when I give an account to my God, I will give a faithful account. And my record will show that I have done what I was called to do. And that is to give all or to declare all the counsel of God. And that's difficult. It's not an easy thing to do. And many persons that teach or preach shun from that responsibility. I would rather keep the congregation as my friends rather than to lose perhaps most of them. But I pray that every single, every single one of you here are not lovers of men, but lovers of truth. Even if the truth cuts, if you love truth, you'll receive it. It'll heal you because that's what truth does. It cuts, but it heals. Christ Jesus is the truth. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves is the counsel, and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which hath purchased with he which he hath purchased with his own blood. So again, the advice or the counsel is to pay attention to yourselves. He's referring to the to the elders of the congregation, and of course to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has placed you as overseers. But he also has to give warning. And that letter, or in that same chapter, he gives warning. And in verse 29, he reads the following. For I know this, that after my departing, departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing what? The flock. So what is he saying here? He's warning the congregation that grievous wolves will what? Enter in among you, who will not care for the flock. And he's warning the congregation um, of this fact. I encourage you to read the entire chapter. I'm sure that you will find it a blessing. Paul also wrote to Timothy and he sta- um, and said, also of your own selves, I'm sorry, I'm, this is a following verse to the previous verse, also of your own selves shall men arise 
speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So what is this passage reading? That among your own selves, men will arise. For what purpose? To draw disciples after them. Should we be uh, students of the scriptures ourselves? Yes. We need to be students of the scriptures. Both the Bible and, of course, the testimonies of the spirit of prophecy. Paul also to Timothy wrote, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the church. Is that what it reads? From the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So many shall depart from the faith. Right? The Apostle Peter echoes the same sentiment in regards to false teachers. But there were, all, there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So again, false prophets among God's people in ancient times, false teachers among the people throughout the entire Christian congregation or uh, the dispensation of the Christian church. With such warning, what should a spiritual shepherd do? Because the spiritual shepherds or the elders or the pastors are those that are, they've been given the, uh, the responsibility to care for the flock and to watch out for the flock, right? Paul continues uh, uh, reading here or saying, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as a serpent beguile Eve through his sub- subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. What do you understand by that last sentence, ye might well bear with him? What do you understand by that? Doesn't that give the impression that you're okay with such teachers? You bear well with them? But this should not be the case. In other words, should such teachers be tolerated? Notice in verse 13, For such are what? False apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into what? Apostles of Christ. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, we read, which is, another, which is not another, but there is but some that trouble you and who would prefer the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be what? A curse. That is a serious statement. Don't you think so? So, even until this day, um, I think I've, I've said this before, that I pray and I tell my, my God, um, if I'm wrong, please show me. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to teach anything that's erroneous because my soul is in danger. And I always, when I talk to brothers from the corporate church, I appeal to them, show me, please. And even in this discourse, if I, have, if I say anything at the end, please approach me and show me if perhaps I say anything that might be erroneous because I'm only a frail man and I can commit mistakes. So again... We are to protect the flock. And let me tell you, and you should all know, that true shepherds do protect the flock. Would you agree? True shepherds do protect the flock. Here's a statement uh, from Ellen White. 
If we see one in error, we should go to them kindly and tell them in regard to the matter. And so by every means possible, present to them the truth in contrast with error. There is always a truth with which we can meet error. Let this never be forgotten. And the church is to watch for the souls as they must give an account. Not that you are to watch for their haltings and watch for their errors. In other words, paying close attention to them just to see what they say it's going to be a mistake. Not necessarily, but that you are to watch for the prosperity of souls that you may speak a word in season and out of season. So there's a responsibility here. Of course, she mentions the church, um, but I understand that it also applies to the overseers of the congregation. Um, there was an experience of mine that I had um, in my other in my local congregation when I used to attend. Um, my wife actually um, was given, um, she was assigned to give a talk. And once a person there, well, when the, her discussion or her presentation was over, he started to share his thoughts. And his thoughts were, Contrary to what, not only contrary, but they were pretty much as far as I can remember, he didn't agree with um, what, what she had presented. And not because she's my wife, I felt um, troubled, but because what she presented, I felt it was true. And it was a concern because this person was not the first time that he had verbally or publicly um, said things that were contrary to what the congregation there believed, and even the church believes this as a whole. And so I brought my concerns to the leaders of the congregation, and I thought something was going to be done, and it was not the first time that I had brought this to their attention. I had personally approached this individual, um, and I knew where he stood in regards to his points of view and doctrine, uh, but nothing was done, and that was very discouraging to me. Um, and anyhow, um, what should be done? Uh, the, the thought was that we can't do nothing ab about it. We can't ask the person to leave. And I was not, I never mentioned we should ask the person to leave. Uh, that, was that was not my intention. My intention was to sit down with the per person and try to reason with the person so that we can help this individual to see what truth is and what is not. That was my intention. Perhaps he needed some education on the matter, um, but it, it just never happened. Anyways, that was just a, an, an experience that um, I went through. So how is the congregation protected from false teachings? How do spiritual shepherds go about protecting the flock? By a creed. Did we form a creed? <laughs> right? Wrong, right? We don't form a creed, correct? Well, what is a creed? A creed is an, they're articles of faith. Articles of faith. And here's a little bit more information about what a creed is. A creed, also known as a confession, symbol, or statement of faith, is a statement of, uh, um, of the shared beliefs of an often religious community in the form of a fixed formula summarizing core tenets. The earliest creed in Christianity, Jesus is Lord, originated in the writings of St. Paul, according to the source. Uh, I believe I shared the source, but I believe it's Wikipedia where I got this from. One of the most widely used creeds in Christianity is the Nicene Creed, first formulated in A.D. 325 at the First Council of Nicaea, it was based on the Christian understanding of the canonical Gospels, the letters of the New Testament, and to a lesser extent, the Old Testament. Affirmation of this creed, which describes the Trinity, is generally taken as a fundamental test of orthodoxy for most Christian denominations. The Apostles' Creed is also broadly accepted. Some Christian denominations and other groups have rejected the authority of those creeds. 
So we see one, it's a fixed formula, set of words, sayings, expressions, etc. Um, the uh, number two, this, this is a, a formulated, formulated words, creed, um, that was taken in A.D. 325 at the First Council of Nicaea. Number three, based upon a Christian understanding of the letters of the New Testament and to a lesser extent the Old Testament, what these men understood that they put together in these articles of faith. And number four, affirmation of this creed describes the Trinity as a fundamental test of orthodoxy. So what is, um, what is orthodoxy? Does anyone know? Orthodoxy is authorized. In other words, it's authorized or is a general accepted theory. So the Christian or such and such denomination is not orthodoxy. It's not um, authorized or it's not generally accepted. In other words, they're, they're strange, they're weird, they're, they're off. They're not orthodox Christians because that's the general accepted theory. And so they think that that makes it right. The following is taken from um, Merriam-Webster. One, a brief authoritative formula of religious belief, the Nicene Creed, and two, a set of fundamental beliefs, also a guiding principle. Um, so, the Bible, I don't have a Bible on me. These men study the Bible, and they put together their understanding in what they called some, what I'm going to say, articles of faith, which formulated a creed. The articles of their, of their understanding, or of understanding, take the first place instead of the Bible, making these authoritative. In other words, we have the Bible in one hand, and this is what we pin, because this is what we understood from our reading and studying of the scriptures. So we put the Bible away, and this becomes authority. This is our creed. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, if you don't, under, if you don't agree with our understanding, then you, 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 cannot be, you cannot associate with us. You cannot be part of us. You have no, no say in what we do. So my question is, is having articles of faith wrong? Or a creed? I would say no. Hear me out. Why? Well, first of all, do we have a creed? Do we have a creed? Yes. The Bible is our creed. Would you agree? Yes. And there's millions of people. Well, not millions. Well, there is. <laughs> but... Among our people, we have put articles together, small Bible studies based on, on the Bible, right? But the person that reads should go to the Bible to see if what is written in whatever study guide they have is in harmony with the Bible. Even with me, which I'm not, I'm verbally speaking, you have the Bible to go to to see whether I say things are so or whether they're contrary to Scripture. Um, the Bible, again, it's our creed. But millions claim, or millions across Christianity, claim the Bible as their source book, as the foundation of their beliefs. Is that true? How many churches are there in the world today? Christian churches. And how many of them claim the Bible as their source for their beliefs? All of them, as far as I'm aware. But what about us, as a, among us as a people? Now we narrow it down to the Adventist world. Do we have the same problem? Do we have different sets of beliefs among our people as well? And do we find the same claim? The Bible is the source as, or the basis for what I believe. Is that true? Yes, unfortunately, but it's true. The following statement was written by John Loughborough, and it reads, The first step of apostasy is to get up a creed, telling us what we shall believe. The second is to make that creed a test of fellowship. The third is to try members by that creed. The fourth, to denounce as heretics 
those who do not believe that creed. And fifth, to commence persecution against such. This could be somewhat confusing. Um, And why do I say that? Well, some might argue that we have a creed. As a matter of fact, I was told not too long ago that we do have a creed. And that's the creed. How many of you are familiar with this? The fundamental principles. And they said that's a creed. And so I thought about it. I said, well, there's only, in my mind, two ways to look at this. If this is a creed, as it was charged that it is, then we have a creed. But the person that was telling me or that that shared with me these thoughts, obviously the person is is, uh, also a Christian. They as well have their understanding of what is truth and what is not. And they too have rules that they allow in their congregation and what they don't allow. And they do also have rules of what you could speak and what you are not allowed to speak. So with respect, I ask them, isn't that a creed? Do you understand what I'm saying? Isn't that a creed? It hasn't been written down. But when, I, when, when I'm invited to speak to any particular congregation and the person in charge tells me, well, Juan, um, I know that you, this is what you understand, but I don't want you to share that. I don't want you to share that here. I could either um, object and say, well, I, I won't accept your invitation to speak, or I can say, okay, there's no problem. I won't speak about that. Do you understand? Do you see what I'm saying? These are, sim- are simple these are just simply a guide that show what Seventh-day Adventists believe or practice or as principles um, of faith that were written here. When we use anything outside of the Bible to support what we believe, such as articles put together by, by men, then we, we can, we're mistaken. If I go and knock on doors or I'm witnessing and I say and I try to share someone in my conversations, perhaps they'll ask me, well, I don't know what happens when someone dies. And I instead of pulling out of my bag a Bible, I pull out of my bag, you know, a document that tells people what happens when they die. And they can perceive that that's that's not the Bible. Even though I know that what's found in this in this document, it's. Accurately, you know, it's correct according to the scriptures. But people can misinterpret that. So we need to know our Bible so that we can use our Bible to defend everything that we believe. What do you say? It's important that we know our Bible. And again, these principles, I don't consider them a creed. Not in the sense of having or superseding the Bible. Um... These by no means take the place of the Bible. Do you believe that? They don't take the place of the Bible. Um, uh, We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, Should we we be willing to study uh, to see if we are mistaken? Yes, of course. We should always have an open mind. When we close our mind and we say, no, what I believe is correct, I don't care to listen to what you have to say. Well, then um, I just pray that I am not never in that um, situation or never in that state of mind. That's dangerous. Um, Without church organization, without appointed responsible leaders, without a creed, the rather loose-knit church was growing more and more unwieldy. Ministers and laymen who had met in Battle Creek in late September 1860 
In response to an invitation signed by four leading brethren and couched in the form of an announcement, set about to form a legal organization to hold the assets and manage the affairs of the publishing work. Out of the meeting came plans for a public publishing association, but it could not organize legally until the legislature, le legislature of the state of Michigan had formulated laws under which they could incorporate. Organizing the publishing work called for these choice of the name Seventh-day Adventists. Now notice the following. The action of choosing a name set the field buzzing with the cry that the church was going to or going into what? Babylon. And how are we to understand this statement? Well, let's keep reading. A creed and the gifts um, does stand in direct opposition to each other. Now, what is our position as a people? The Bible is our what? Our creed. But notice, we reject everything in the form of what? A human creed. We take the Bible and what else? And the gifts of the Spirit. Embracing the faith that the Lord will teach us from time to time. And in this, we take a position against the formation of a creed. We are not taking one step in what we are doing toward becoming Babylon. So we have the Bible and we have the gifts of the Spirit, which is what? The writings of the testimony, the spirit of prophecy. They're not human or they were inspired. And we don't have a human creed, is what this uh, statement reads. The Bible teaches the prophetic gift, doesn't it not? And the Bible teaches that this gift will be found in the remnant church. And through this channel, the prophetic gift, we are pointed to the truths that the pioneers taught. You see that? But the same may be argued, or the same... or. Arguments such as the following, perhaps, um, God will rise, I'm sure. Notice. But we see that the God of heaven sometimes commissions men to teach that which is regarded as contrary to the established doctrines. Because those who were once the depositaries of truth became unfaithful to the sacred trust. The Lord chose others who would receive the bright beams of the Son of Righteousness. And would advocate truths that were not in accordance with the ideas of the religious leaders. And then these leaders, in, their blind, in the blindness of their minds, give full sway to what is supposed to be righteous indignation against the ones who have set aside cherished fables. They act like men who have lost their reason. They do not consider the possibility that they themselves have not rightly understood the word. They will not open their eyes to discern the fact that they have misinterpreted and misapplied the scriptures and have built up false theories, calling them fundamental doctrines of the faith. Did you want, let, me, let, me, let me say this. This statement can be used to question or to put uh, a doubt on the principles um, that were set forth by the pioneers. But for those that love to read and study, we know that if that's applied in that way, that's a, that's a misapplication. Why do I say that? Well, because she also stated the following. God has not passed his people by and chosen one solitary man here and another there as the only ones worthy to be untrusted with his truth. He does not give one man new light contrary to what? To the established faith of the body. And every reform may have, men have arisen making this claim. Paul warned the church in his day, Of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. The greatest harm to God's people comes through those who go out from among them, speaking perverse things, through them, the way of truth is evil spoken of. I have you all here to keep me in check. Yes. 
that's the, the benefit of belonging to a body of believers. Now, it's, other, it's, it's up to me whether I want to um, receive your instruction or not. But the point is that even with the Bible, people often use the Bible to contradict other portions or statements of the Bible. So we shouldn't be surprised that people do that with the spirit of prophecy as well. We need to learn how to divide the word of God aright. Or the word of truth aright. What do you say? And here's the, the hardest, um, what, the most difficult things or that transpire takes place. And that is separation. The separation of the sheep and the goats. Unfortunately, a separation is going on today. Do you believe that? We're losing friends, relatives, associates for the sake of doctrine. Nothing new under the sun. What is, where did this separation begin? Where did it begin? In heaven. How long... Were Lucifer and all the angelic hosts friends and relatives? I don't know. But I'm sure that they were close at one time. And when that separation took place, it must have hurt all heaven. It must have hurt the father and his son. Do you agree? And how about the Advent people? Oftentimes we don't think about the experience of the early Adventists during the Alpha crisis. Who was involved? Well, we know Ellen White was. She wrote many um, in protest, strong protest against the Alpha of apostasy. And who was the leading man? Kellogg. Something very interesting that right after her husband died, she was about to die herself. She became very ill and noticed at 12 o'clock at night, my pulse stopped. He, Dr. Kellogg, was at my bedside in one minute. I was unable to speak, but knew what was going on. I expected to pass away quietly as my husband had done, but the doctor worked unredimently with the two helpers until three o'clock in the morning. Dr. Kellogg helped in preserving Ellen White's life. The strongest electricity was employed. One stood with a cake of ice and another with a hot sponge and passed first hot, then cold, over the spine for three hours until my pulse, though very weak and fluttery, was improved. For four nights, these faithful hands battled with death and were rewarded by seeing a determined improvement. Now, this was in 1881. When did the crisis take place of the living temple? How do you th was it easy for Ellen White to correct Harvey Kellogg? It was not. This man God used to preserve her life. And now she had to Reprove him publicly for his teachings that he was bringing in. There's a secular saying in the world, blood is thicker than water. How many of you have heard it? Well, when referring to choosing family, well, when, refer when referring to choosing family or friends, that's what many say, right? 
Blood is thicker than water. But to a Christian, truth is thicker than blood. And we see this through the, throughout the Bible. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they had family members. And not all of the family members received Jehovah's judgments. Some sided with Moses. And how do you think that those family members felt when some of them, their friends, close friends and relatives, sided with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram? Again, at separation. However, many of them chose to remain loyal to Jehovah rather than to rebel against his leadership or those who he had um, assigned to lead Israel. Here's Ellen White. Now some statements regarding Kellogg when he's in his apostasy. I must act in accordance with the light the Lord has given me. And I say to you that Elder A.T. Jones and Dr. Kellogg will make every effort possible to get possession of the tabernacle in order that in, in, order that in it they may present their doctrines. Notice the following. We must make sure the control of the tabernacle, this is referring to the tabernacle of Battle Creek, for the powerful testimonies are to be born in it in favor of the truth. This is the word of the Lord to you and to others. Elder A.T. Jones will work in every possible way to get possession of, his, of this house. And if he can do so, he will present it, in it theories that should never be heard. I know whereof I speak in this matter. And if you could have seen the end from the beginning, if you had believed the warnings that have been given, you would have moved understandingly. Was Kellogg or Jones, or any other of, these, of this class allowed the podium to teach their errors? No. Notice the following. In 1904, we are to make advanced moves, but we cannot unite with Dr. Kellogg until he what? He's a changed man. I can't imagine what she, what was her her experience or her thoughts or her feelings in regards to these, 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 pen, these writings addressing the situation the way that she did. Letters to the churches from Jesus. Notice the following. In regards to doctrine as well. And this is to the church of Ephesus, or at Ephesus. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also do what? Hate. In other words, you have this for you. The congregation of Pergamum, um, how fast are the truth of Christ? Um, this is another church. Um, but nevertheless, this is what he had to say. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast has there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. I have this against you, that you hold among you those who are teaching the doctrine of Balaam. So we hold among our we hold in our midst those who are teaching error, he holds that against us. Going back to the Nicolaitans, um, Revelation 2.15, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So we get a viewpoint of Jesus' um, thoughts in regards to false doctrine. It is, is it a sin to hold them, such individuals that teach false teachings? I believe it is a sin. And the reason why I believe it is a sin is because of the following verse, cause to do what? Repent. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will fight against them 
with the sword of my mouth. I don't want to end with the with a negative note, but there's a there's something good in the horizon, and it's a um, I believe it's a fulfillment of God's word, and that is um, at the end there will be how many one fold. Do you believe that? Amen. One fold. There will be one fold, according to the Bible, and I want to belong to that fold, and I pray that every one of you also want to belong to that fold. There's Bible promises that speak about this. There will be one shepherd, one fold. And Jehovah, under the ministration of his holy angels, will accomplish this. And of course, we as his people will have a part to play in cooperating with these divine agencies. Therefore, thus said the Lord Jehovah unto them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you thrust with side and with shoulder and push all disease with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. Therefore, will I save my flock and they shall no more be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep and I will set up one shepherd over them. How many shepherds? One. And he shall feed them. Even my servant David, he shall feed them and he shall bear their shepherd. That doesn't mean necessarily one in the literal sense of one individual because we read also in Ezekiel the following. And I will give them what? One heart. heart. Give them, all of God's people, one heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh. So the promise is that God will give his people one heart, one spirit, and this will bring about one fold. And we will have one shepherd. Now in regards to the question that was asked, and I'll just, I'll try to answer it with this. I stated earlier that If someone has invited me to speak and he tells me, you are are allowed to speak, but these are the requirements, or this is what you can speak and what you cannot speak, whose decision is after that for me to speak there? Mine, correct? So when we say this is what we, um, we understand from the Bible. And if you want to be a part of our congregation, we can go through these. Or if there's anything wrong that you see in these, perhaps we can talk about it and study, study these things out. And if they are in harmony with what we believe, in Sabbath keeping, the state of the dead, and so on and so forth. The decision is not ours. The decision is theirs. Would you agree? I don't... I don't... um, I understand the corporate church for for them taking the stand that that they have taken. They don't want confusion in regards to this topic in their congregation. And we need to be careful that there's a thin line because even though we do have what we consider, you know, what we believe and understand, and we are to protect the flock from erroneous teachings, we must be Christ-like. And how to, in our way of um, approaching the individual who perhaps holds different views. There's a very thin line. I believe that I shared that in, in the, the last time I spoke um, in regards to um, Jesus as well. He, um, one of his characteristics is that he's a lamb, 
which is gentle, right, and mild. And at the same time, he's represented by the symbol of a lion, fierce, always ready to protect his flock or his, you know, um, not the flock, what do they call his, his pride, right. And so the true shepherd also, those that are under shepherds of the Christ, they too will approach those who perhaps don't agree but what we understand and be Christian and say, oh, well, um, that's, that's what we understand. And if you would like to look further into it, I'll be more than happy to, to sit with you. You know, that should be our attitude. That's what, that's the attitude of the Christ and that he's our example and our pattern and we should follow closely after, after him. What do you say? So, um, in short, or just to, if, if it hasn't been clear, the Bible is our creed. And the Bible refers that the remnant church will have the prophetic gift in their midst. And the prophetic gift, the testimonies of Sister White, point us to the pioneers that what they taught was true. That their understanding of the Sabbath is true. And truth does never change. So if they, they understood something to be true in the early or late 1800s, and, that, and, that it was, and, and it was true and endorsed by the testimonies of God's Spirit, then that truth is true today. Because truth does not change. I hope that it was um, clear um, because it's been, a, it, it's, it's been coming up, this issue with the creed. We're forming a creed. And I hope that I have done you know, something in, to help to clear up that, um, that question. So uh, with that said, uh, I'm going to invite you once again to bow with me so we can pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I just want to ask you that you be with every single one of us that is in this house of meeting. You know us more than perhaps we know ourselves. And it is my desire that as we are sitting here today, we can all sit together likewise in your kingdom. Please, dear Father, help us to be of that one fold. Every single one of us is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth Pioneer Health and Missions